0: Continuing on tonight, studying here the book of Acts, looking at this, um, this, our study, our Bible study, we're calling it a church ablaze, the church ablaze, looking at the the first church there in Jerusalem and how it spread, how God worked in a great and powerful way, and and, uh, we want to look through this and study it, apply it, learn from it, apply it to our life, uh, apply it to our church. I want for our church to be a church just like here, the church that we're reading about um, in the... Book of Acts, and um, just a, there's so many things that we can learn from this. And once again, I want to go through and I want us to really study this. Have it be like a Bible study, a time that we can um, just really stop, take each verse, look at it, uh, divide it, really apply it to our life, and uh, just to encourage you, if you would um, to to really look at it that way. It's our this is our Bible study tonight, uh, night, and I want to use this time to. Just go through, I think the Book of Accident is an awesome book. It's a great book because there's so many wonderful things that happen. There's so much to learn um, as far as the application for how we should do things. It is the model for our church. There are some things that are different that happened at the very first church there at Jerusalem. Um, In that time frame, you had the apostles here. We talked about this uh, the last couple of weeks, how that there are no longer apostles that are here today. Um, The apostles... They were they were at a special time, special place. They had special sign gifts that God gave to them, um, gifts that we don't no longer have. We no longer have today. Um, there is not a need for them. Uh, we have the completed Word of God, and with the completed Word of God, we have a history book, history book of the church. And so we're looking at the, this history book and learning um, what we can apply to our life. And and so uh, last week, last couple of weeks, we talked about the author. Who's the author of the book of Acts? Help me if you know the answer. Raise your hand up quick, Rodney. Luke, absolutely right. Luke is the author, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Who, who When he wrote this, he made a declaration, both the, the Gospel of Luke and also the, the book of Acts. He made a declaration to an individual. Does anybody remember the name of that individual that he made the declaration? Yes, sir. Theophilus, Theophilus exactly right. Good. And um, he obviously had a lot of respect for him, and uh, he, many believed that there was a man that was in a position of great authority. Um, and it's just interesting as you read it it's kind of a connection, a lot of people don't make the connection between Luke and Acts and yet the same author, the gospel of Luke what's unique about Luke writing the the gospel of Luke what what, what makes him different than the other three gospels as far as an individual anybody remember, what makes him unique, anybody, yes sir yeah okay so he wasn't an eyewitness, what we talked about, does anybody remember he wasn't an eyewitness, what else what's that Okay, he's a doctor. Good. All right. He was a doctor. That was his profession. What was unique? That was a, that, that is definitely unique. Good. Like, nope. No, that wasn't him. Yes. Yeah, he was a Gentile. Exactly. The other ones they, they were Jews. He was a Gentile, and uh, so it's it's uh, interesting to to see um, that God used a Gentile to give us one of the gospels, and uh, and so. Here he's writing now. Many you could say this is Luke two, but it's it's a book of, of history. Um, the first book that he wrote was a gospel about the life of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. And now we're looking at the history of the church. And um, he he was there. He was able to, to walk with and talk with the, these men, that, the apostles that God used in a great and powerful way. And so a few weeks ago we began. I just want to do a little bit of review. We'll get where we left off and. The first point that we looked at, well, actually, before we do it, let's read Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Each week, I've had somebody read it. First week, I had a young person, a child, read it. Last week, I had a a lady read it. Let's have a man read it tonight, a man that would volunteer to stand up and read verses 1 through 11. Who would that do that for me? Okay, Rodney, go ahead. If you stand up and read verses 1 through 11. Thank you. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that we would learn tonight. Lord, I pray that we would desire to look for your coming, and Lord, that we would occupy until that time. Lord, I pray that you would challenge our hearts. Thank you for the privilege to know you. Thank you, Lord, for the message of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me go back, and so very quickly, let's go ahead and look through uh, what we've already studied thus far. First of all, we looked at the risen Lord conveying. The risen Lord conveying. And uh, so he he imparts the truth to the to, to the apostles, and he gives them direction. That same truth applies to us as well. That uh, Christians are are we have, there are three indispensable elements that are given here that we see that are brought before us here in these opening verses. And the, the first one is this: that the word of God is the message. The first thing we looked at: the word of God is the message. We're supposed to know the word of God. We're supposed to study the word of God. We're supposed to know the message. Secondly, we saw the Spirit of God is the might. The power by which we do the work of God is through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. We're going to talk about that more in a little bit. Thirdly, we looked at the men of God, the median. God uses um, uh, people. God used them. God will use us as the one. who the Word of God with the power of the Holy Spirit of God within the individual believer. Secondly, we looked at the risen Lord confirming before the apostles could undertake the humanly impossible task of reaching a world that did not believe, uh, many skeptics, the Christ-rejecting world, they had to believe themselves. They had to have complete faith in believing and be convinced that Christ is and was alive. And so the Lord, he gave them, the Bible says, many infallible truths or proofs of his resurrection. And he, he shared with them. And the first thing we noticed when we, we talked about that last week was how Christ built their faith up. He strengthened their faith. That's an amazing thing. When you look at the lives of these disciples, remember we talked about how that they had been in a place of being down. They're in a place of despair. They're hiding. Um, they're, they're not doing originally what God had called them to do. And to see how they went from that to being on fire for God and preaching the gospel, as we see here in the book of Acts, something happened. And what happened was, they saw a risen Savior. They knew it was real. And you go and read the epistles that they write later, they talk about, we witnessed it. We saw it. We, we saw it with our own eyes. We were right there. And we, they, and, and we see that, that they had the power to to, to do what they did because of the faith that they had. And uh, last week I talked about the greatest proofs that we see that, of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what it is, is the fact that strengthened their faith. He gave them many infallible proofs. And, and, and so they, they had a complete belief that Jesus Christ was risen indeed from the grave. And so Christ he strengthened their faith. Secondly, we saw how Christ increased their knowledge. In verse number three, we see, see that he spoke uh, to them of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Same thing, he continues to teach them. He taught them for three years pertaining to the kingdom of God. For three years, he discipled them as his uh, disciples and the apostles. And then he spoke to them concerning the things pertaining to the kingdom of God once again. And so we see the risen Lord conveying, confirming, and then we see the risen Lord correcting. Last week we talked about this. First thing he corrected them was on concerning their service. Look at verse 4 once again. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not... Of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me, verse five, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence, and so the apostles they had to receive the Holy Spirit before they could do the work that God had commanded them to do, what the Lord had commanded them to do, they needed the Holy Spirit of God, and they had to wait for the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. How long did they have to wait? Does anybody remember how many days did they have to wait? Ten, Ten days can you imagine waiting okay you've got the great commission you've got all these infallible proofs you've got the faith believe that christ rose from the dead you know what man you got the message inside your heart and yet the lord says hang on a minute now you're not quite ready yet i need to, you to wait until you get the holy spirit they had to wait 10 days and in that time they needed to wait and so the same is true for us that we need the power of the holy spirit of god and by the way I'm thankful I don't have to wait for the Holy Spirit of God after salvation. At the very moment of salvation, we receive the Holy Spirit of God. People talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is where they get it from. Baptism of the Holy Spirit for you as a child of God, the moment you got saved, when you trusted in Christ, you were baptized by the Holy Spirit of God. You were indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And and so if we didn't have the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't know where to go. We wouldn't know when to go. We wouldn't know who should go. We wouldn't know as far as directives. I'm talking about personal. And so the Lord Jesus, he had made the promise that the comforter, he will teach you and guide you, he said in John chapter 14 and chapter 16, and here now he is fulfilling that promise, promise promises for us. And so um, he gave them correction concerning service, he gave them correction concerning seasons. And then in verse number 7, notice what it says, and he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, And so he's telling them, okay, once again, remember, we went into detail last week. Here the disciples are like, okay, it's the Lord. He's risen from the dead. He's paid our sin debt. Now he's going to set up his kingdom. Yes, let's go. And they're expecting that to happen. And they're expecting for him to set it up right there. Well, he tells them, listen, it's not for you to know. It's not for you to have. The verse says again, it's not for you to know the time or the season which the Father hath put in his own power. But it is for us to do something until the Lord does come back. He did tell us to occupy until I come. And so he he gave them marching orders. He told them what they were supposed to do. He told them to fulfill the commission that he had given to them. And so until the Lord returns, we are supposed to fulfill the great commission, which brings us to our fourth point, which is where I want to pick up tonight, where we left off last week. And I want to talk about the risen Lord commissioning, his commission. The very last words that Jesus spoke before he left for heaven was this. The uttermost part of the earth. Look at verse number 8 again. Ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The very last words he says, and what this is, once again, this is the Great Commission. It is once again the Lord commissioning his apostles, commissioning the disciples, commissioning the church. And these disciples were to tell the story to untold millions. But I want you to notice as we look at this, notice first of all the nature of this commission. Look at it. Look at its power first of all. Notice verse number 8, it says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Word. I remember in Bible college learning about this word a little bit when we took Greek class and one of the th- words we went to is looked at this word because it's an interesting word in, in the Greek, it, it's dunamis and it's actually, it's, it's, the, the, it's the word we get our root word for dynamite. It's the exact same type of description of power that is within the believer, the Holy Spirit of God, every Christian is packed with the power of the Holy Spirit of God and, and it's great power, that's the power that's within you. The power that God has put within you is dynamite power, and God, he wants for you to use that power to fulfill the Great Commission. It just needs to be used. It needs to be released. It needs to allow for the Holy Spirit of God to to have that power within us. That power is not going to be any greater or less depending upon the Holy Spirit of God. It's always going to be the same, the same power that the disciples had, the apostles had, and I didn't say the same gifts, but the same power is the same power that we have. The same power that the great, those in the past that have, had, have been part of the great revivals, the great awakenings that have taken place in the past, the same power of that Holy Spirit is the same power that we have within us. So what limits the power? Yeah, we do. It's not God that's limited. God is not limited. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God can do the same thing today that he's done in past generations you know, I love going back and reading about the Great Awakenings. I love reading about great revivals, the, the great Irish revival, and you, you read about the, the, the Welch revival. You, you, you know, you go back and you read about what happened, and it's just like inspiring. And you are thinking to yourself, wow, God, could you do that today? I believe God could if, God would, if we would allow God, the Holy Spirit of God, to empower us, to fill us. to Really what it is is we just let God have all of us is what needs to happen. The Bible instructs us commands us that we be filled with the spirit. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 and be not drunk with wine whereas in excess but be filled with the spirit is what the word of God says. A lot of people want to focus in on the part of the drinking. Well that means we can drink as long as it's not in excess. That's not the point this is talking about at all. And there was a, if you understood what drinking if you've been part of any type of training and understand the drinking in the days of Christ was a completely different thing than it is today. The wine that we have today has way more alcohol than what they had in that day. I mean, you had to drink a lot of, a lot of the stuff that they had, they had in that day. They didn't have uh, refrigeration. Uh, they would be drinking something very low alcohol content at times they would have, and it would have been for purification. It would have been something for preservation, but it never would have been for getting drunk. The only way that would happen is if you purposefully chose to make it over and over and over, and drinking, wherein is excess, okay? That's what that's talking about. But that's not even the point of this. The point of this is that we ought to be intoxicated by the Holy Spirit of God. When a person is drunk, you can see it. You ever see the person walking down the street that's drunk? I mean, I've I've seen it, and you know what? I I actually, I think it's sad when I see it. Someone that's stumbling, they can't even walk straight. They're not even able to make it to the car. They've fallen down. They can't get the key in the car. They, they, they're, you know, they're scratching their car up with their key because they're trying to get it inside the car to get in. They can't figure things out. It's sad to watch people like that. That's the negative aspect. positive aspect of being filled with the Spirit is that we are so filled with the Spirit of God that it is evident in our behavior. That people, they see the, the Spirit of God on us. They see the power of God on us. That's being filled with the Spirit of God. Dr. A.C. Dixon, he said this. When we rely on organization, we get what organization can do. When we rely on education, we get what education can do. When we rely on eloquence, we get what eloquence can do. But when we rely on the Holy Spirit of God, we get what only God can do. That's what we need here in this church. Do you believe that, Brother Randy? That's what we need in this church. Brother Harold, do you believe that? Amen. These are our deacons. Brother Tim, do you believe that? Amen. We need the power of God in this church. I believe it. Every one of us needs to come to the place where we so long and desire that the power of God is in this place, that we will allow the Holy Spirit of God to intoxicate us, to have complete control of us, to work in us. We need, without the power of God, listen, we have a lot of organization. I have people, you know, there's sometimes people, you guys, you you saw some disorganization tonight, and, and if you know me very well, you know that really irritates me. I have to get past that kind of stuff. I have to trip over it before I get to the pulpit and try to preach the word of God. And that's the truth. I'm just being honest with you. It's, I struggle with that. When something goes wrong, oh, I hate that. Then i got to pray, which I did pray. <laughs> God, I need your help. I don't want to focus on these things. God, I, I need you to give me the right words. But, you know, we try to do things decently in order. By the way, it's a good thing to do these things decently in order. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. We should do our best. Sometimes things happen. You've got to trust the Lord. But, you know, we, I've had people that have come to our church, that have been part of our church, and then they go to another church, and they go, Dad, oh, there, I just let the cat out of the bag. I've had my kids come back and say, Dad, th- that church, there's, it's like there's no organization. Uh, it's like they don't know what's happening next. It's kind of, I'm just not used to that, you know? It's like so different. Now, there, the thing is, nothing wrong with organization, but if you're relying on organization to be the power, there's no power for relying on education. I think it's good to be educated. I was talking to a friend this week. You know, I have a friend who's a charismatic friend, and I was messing with him. I was just pulling his leg a little bit. And, I, and uh, he was inviting me to some um, gathering, and he says, uh, he says there's not going to be any speaking in tongues at that gathering. He was just messing around with me, too. And I said back to him, I said, well, that's a good thing. I says, because I can't even master the English language. I can't imagine trying to master some other language. I can't speak Spanish. I can't speak you're Greek, very you know. I can't imagine that, you know. But messing around, but education. You know, can you imagine? I was talking to another uh, missionary friend this week, and and he was talking about the fact that there is there was, there was um, um, people that that knew. There was this man that he knew that knew eight different languages, and one somebody asked him, they said, "Well, um, which which language do you know?" and he says, I don't know any languages. I'm still working on all eight, all of them, you know. It's like we, none of us do. But so knowledge is not the answer. You're going to hear this preacher bumble through at times. There's going to be times you're going to see mistakes happen up on this screen. But you know what? That's not about the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Mistakes do happen. Now, we do try, we try to fix things. We try to do things decently in order. And if you're going to come into the church and you're going to sit there and listen to the preacher and he makes a mistake because verbally he says something wrong, I'm not talking about wrong spiritually, I'm not talking about wrong biblically, I'm talking about he misused the English language, I hope you don't trip over that. I hope that that's not such a big thing for you that you don't hear the message that God has for you. That becomes such a stumbling block within you that you quench the spirit within you, and in doing so, quench the spirit within this church. If you're going to trust an organization, if you're going to trust in grammar, if you're going to trust in the English, if you're going to trust in these things, if you're going to trust in eloquence, you're going to get what eloquence can bring. You know what eloquence can bring? A lot of things, but it's certainly not going to, that's not going to, what's the power to bring people to Christ. Listen, you look at the the disciples and and Pastor Parker, man, what a wonderful message Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. If you missed it, you missed a great message talking about these, you know, James, uh, Peter, and, and John, how the, they were unlearned, and yet they had the power of the Holy Spirit of God on them, and it was obviously seen. People saw it. I'd be more, listen, I want things to be organized. I want things to be right on the screen. I want to be able to speak the language properly, but you know what? Most importantly, what we need is to be empowered and filled by the Holy Spirit of God. That is the most important thing. I want to see what God can do in this place. And the thing is, and we all have to get on board. We're a church. We're a body of believers. We need to all be praying for the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Pray for your preacher that he will speak better. <laughs> Pray that I'll have the right words. If you see a problem, fix it. Don't be the critic of it. Fix it. Get involved. Spend some time helping. But don't sit back and say, "Well, hey, that's just terrible." No, hey, Let's pray the Holy Spirit of God gets a hold of our hearts, and the power of God is on this place. And we trust in that instead of eloquence, education, organization. Now, nothing wrong with education. I think every child needs to be educated properly. And some could have been better taught when they were younger with phonics. I understand that. But you know what? God called me. God ordained me to be the pastor of this church. And I want to continue to grow. It's not that there's not an excuse for it. That are not always going to be perfect. I do. And I have to have the same thing. I don't want to get caught up in that. It's so easy to get tripping over that stuff. We need to be very careful that we don't. We need to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So the nature of the commission is we see its power. Secondly, no, notice that, that the fact that it's Personal. And ye shall be, look at verse number 8, I want you to look at this phrase, and ye shall be my witnesses unto me. Look in your Bible at verse number 8, look what it says, and ye shall be my witnesses unto me. Would you all say that together with me, if you're looking at your Bible? You have your Bible, look there if you would, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and let's all say it together, and ye shall be my witnesses unto me. Let's say it again, and ye shall be my witnesses unto me. I'm trying to get you to say these things. You know, we're talking about Bible study. I want to really be more like a class setting. In school, if you were teaching a school class, you would ask your students to look in their book and to follow along. That's not out out of line at all. It really isn't. I'm asking for you to do the same thing. Let's look at it again. Look at it. Chapter 1, verse 8. And ye shall be my witnesses unto me. That's personal. Look at it. Make it personal. And ye shall be my witnesses unto me you realize that's the reoccurring message throughout all the gospel of Acts? I mean, all the book of Acts, throughout all the preaching of, the, uh, of, of these apostles, of the, the, the early church. It's a reoccurring 39, at least 39 times in the book of Acts, we see this reoccurring theme. And ye shall be witnesses unto me. Witnesses unto me. People who tell the truth about Jesus Christ is what it's talking about. Now, I want you to look at that word witnesses. Look at that word. Isn't that an interesting word? Look at it. Witnesses. What does that word mean? What does it mean? And ye shall be witnesses unto me. What does that word witness mean? Anybody? Yeah. Okay, so having the truth. That's true. More specific, though. It's personal. Yeah. Okay, spreading the gospel. All right, let's break it down to the word, what it means. The word and what it means. Yeah. Okay, ambassadors, and that, yeah, we're going to get to that in a minute, that's true, we're ambassadors of Christ, yep. More of a word. Okay, so you're talking about the fact that your life will be a witness, absolutely, that's good, yeah. You yeah, you experience something, good, and what? You experienced it and what? How, what makes the difference between that and then now becoming a witness? Yeah, you're proclaiming it. You're telling somebody what you've experienced. Brother Randy, you want to add to it? Yeah, absolutely. That's good. Yeah. What's that? Like a testimony? Good, that's right. Absolutely, all these are practical things. Let me give you a little bit, this is something, I did a word study on this, and it just, it was something that was like, I never looked at it this way before. You look at the Greek word for witness, you can go look at it later, if you guys like to delve into stuff like that in your Strong's Concordance, go back and look at it. Look at the word witness. It actually is the same root word as martyr. The actual same word is martus is the exact Greek word. Martyr. Think about that. That's where the word comes from. We use the word martyr. You know what a martyr is, right? A person that gives their life for Christ or gives their life for a cause, a martyr, one who dies for the faith. And you look at the word witnesses, that's the martyrs is what it is. Oftentimes when people would witness this early day and this age, especially there in Jerusalem, those early Christians, many of them, they died for the faith. Because of their witness, they didn't die because they were sitting in some house somewhere, and never saying anything. They didn't die because they were out fishing somewhere and never saying anything. We're in upper room, and I'm saying this because the disciples you remember in the time from when Christ died, and and then we see that time frame there that Christ had to help build their faith up to get them ready for the ministry of going out and proclaiming the gospel. Many of them they were they were hiding away; their faith was weak, and and so. Here we see that many of these these Christians, because they had these infallible proofs, because they had seen a risen Savior, because they believed it within their heart, they were witnesses. And he says, I want you to be a witness unto me. That's what he asked them to be. I want you to be a martyr unto me. I want you to be willing to give your life for me. I want you to tell people what I have done for you, personal. What has Christ done for you? What do you have to witness of, of what he has done in your life? How has he impacted you? How has he changed you? How has he forgiven you? How has he saved you? Be a witness of that. And ye shall be my witnesses unto me, Christ says. The overwhelming theme of the book of Acts is being a witness. That ought to be the theme of every child of God, that we are a witness of him. Every one of us, we ought to be willing. The Bible tells us that we are to be a sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There it is again, that sacrifice, being willing to sacrifice, being a witness, a martyr for the Lord. Standing up for the Lord, the witness unto Him. You know, Christ didn't say that we're going to be theologians, even though some people think that they are. He didn't say that we're going to be lawyers. He said that we're going to be witnesses, people who see something and tell others about it. Have you seen the work of God in your life? Have you seen him work? Have you seen what he can do for you? What he does for you, he can do for others. Be a witness of it. Tell others about it. If Christ has done anything for you, then you are to witness to it, tell others about it, share your experience of Christ. So The question is, are you telling others about Christ as you should? Are we? Are we? You know what's amazing? Is you marvel at the simplicity of the gospel. You think about it with me. Such a simple thing. Man-made religion tries to make it so difficult about going to heaven and knowing God. Man made religion. You know, Jesus Christ, the the simplicity of the gospel is this. Jesus Christ is God, come in the flesh. He died, paid our sins. He resurrected. He rose the third day. He's exalted in heaven. He calls us to believe on Him. And, and, And then, therefore, receiving forgiveness of sin. Believing. Real simple. Romans chapter 10, verses 9, 10, and verse 13. Very simple of understanding that. That's good news. There's nothing to join, there's no system to climb. Just a person to receive. You see, Jesus Christ, receiving him is eternal life. Let's let's make a transition. We're going to come back to really thinking about that more in a minute. But have you ever noticed that the apostles were passionate in their witness for Christ? Have you looked at it? Have you read about it? Somebody tell me in the book of Acts, and you're remembering reading it, apostles being passionate in their uh, delivery or passionate in their cause for Christ. Anybody give me an example of that? I think of many, but let's just get him a few. Yeah, what they did. How they absolutely. When you read there, the, the message at Pentecost was powerful, absolutely, passionate, no doubt. Right then, not too long before that, here he was cowering down, and I go fishing. Now, with great power, the Holy Spirit of God upon him, and God built his faith. All right. What, what's another example? Yes, sir. Yes, yeah, Stephen, absolutely. Go ahead and tell us. Absolutely, the Bible talks about something with their teeth. What was that? The yeah, they gritted. They, I mean, they just gr- they wanted to kill him so bad. And even as they stoned him, it was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and Him forgiving them. Amazing, but such passion. There's a witness. There's a martyr for Christ. Somebody else? Yes, sir. Right there, right, right in front of the temple. There he is, and he heals him, and absolutely, many thousands got saved as a result of the message that he preached. Yeah. Okay. Passionately cast that demon out. Okay, good. How about does anybody remember Felix, governor? Man, you go read what he said to him and how he was passionate in the way that he presented. Here's a man that had the power to put him in prison. Peter ended up, uh, excuse me, Paul, Paul had the power to claim his Roman citizenship, but at that time, it wasn't it yet. Here he is, he's, he's, he's so passionate in what he did. We see it again and again and again. Where does that passion come from? Where does it come from? That passion that they had, the power that they had, the, the boldness that they had, where does that come from? I mean, absolutely love that they had for Christ the faith that they had what's that yeah they did the power of the holy spirit of god all of they had they had such passion there is no doubt about it they fervently promoted their faith they believed their faith was the only way they had no question no doubt about it they believed that Christ died and rose again no question in their mind, they were a band of zealous believers who turned the world upside down. When George Whitfield was getting the people of Edinburgh out of their beds at 5 o'clock in the morning to hear his preaching, let me stop for a moment. Did you hear what I just said? He was preaching at 5 o'clock in the morning and people were getting up and coming out to hear the preaching. Can you imagine having a revival that starts at 5 a.m.? Some of you would like that. Brother Andy, you'd probably like that, wouldn't you? I wouldn't mind it too much. Five o'clock in the morning. I don't think we'd get a very big crowd though, Brother Andy. It might be just me and you. I don't know. And it maybe these other people. But can you imagine? Here he is. He's preaching there at Edinburgh at five o'clock in the morning. People are getting up. They're they're coming over to to the church meeting. And there was a man that was on his way to the church and he met David Hume. Now you probably don't know who he is, but David Hume was a Scottish philosopher and skeptic. He did not believe in God, he didn't believe in the gospel. But here he was. he's walking on his way over to hear Whitfield preach. And so this man that saw him was surprised, and he asked the question. he says, "I thought that you said you didn't believe the gospel." Hume replied, he said this: "I do not, but he does." Huh. In other words, Whitfield had such a fervency about what he believed in and how he trusted in, how he knew. And he had such belief that even the skeptic had to respect it. He saw that he believed and he wanted to go hear what this man had to say. Hey, there's a lot of people in the world today that talk about belief and all kinds of things, but people can't see it. People don't desire it because it's not a fervent thing. It's not something that's real within their life. Let me ask you. Do you want to be an effective witness for the Savior? Are you passionate for Him? Where are your passions at? What are you passionate for? Hey, this is convicting for all of us. I truly believe it's a challenge to every one of us. We have passions for things. What is your passion? What do you have passions for? If somebody that you work with were to say, that man loves, what would they fill in the blank with? would it be? Would it be the Lord? A man loves the Lord? Man, I would like for people to say that about me. That ought to be what people see when they look at us, our passion. Our passion is the Lord. Our passion is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our passion is to share and be a witness of Him to people. That ought to be our passion. So we see Christ. He talks about the power that He's going to give and the power that's needed in order to fulfill the great commission. Notice, if you would, it's program. Now, I talked about programs earlier, but I'm talking about the way for which the, 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 the commission is going to go forth. We see there it talks about, look at verse number eight once again, if you would. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. In Jerusalem, and then to the uttermost part of the earth, okay, and everywhere in between. Like a ripple in a pond, their witness was to extend an even wider circle unto all the uttermost part of the earth. It starts here, it continues out, continues out, it continues out. Is this not the scope of the missionary heart? And by the way, we're having a missions conference coming up, but do you realize that Every one of us are to be missionaries. Missionaries. Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do we yearn for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth? We're getting ready to have four different missionaries come in their families and share with their burden about how God has sent them. But do we have a burden for these missionaries to reach that place that God has called them? Do we have a burden to reach the ends of the earth? do we also have that burden in our own community? I love this quote. Let me share it with you. There can be no burden for distant, unreached peoples without a burden for unchurched neighbors. We talk about missions conference. The question is, is your neighbor going to hell? There can be no burden for distant, unreached peoples without a burden for unreached neighbors. You see, Christ, he demands a world heart desire for the entire world to be saved. I want you to think about this with me. Here's the disciples, the apostles, the early church. There's a planting there at Jerusalem. Um, chapter 2, verse 41, and that day were added to them about 3,000 souls at that moment. The very big meeting they had, the big messages preached. 3,000 accept Christ to get baptized or added to that church. And if you continue to look, you see the church grow and grow and grow. Over 10,000. And you see the church grow, and it's getting huge. And yet it's still there in Jerusalem. It's still there. The the church is growing. And and, and the, the commission wasn't just for their area. But I can tell you this. They were busy about seeing people get saved in their area first. Oftentimes we jump past, at least I do, okay? God had to bring persecution on them to get them to spread out and go and fulfill the Great Commission. That's true. It is true. But before that ever happened, man, they were reaching their neighborhoods. You know, it's amazing. You go read Acts. We're going to get to it. But you see how that there are many even that worked in the temple that ended up trusting in Christ as their Savior because of the witness of the believers, of the Apostles. People that got saved that were engulfed inside the religion, of course, we know obviously Peter would be one of them, engulfed in, the, in, in being under the law, under bondage, and being set free. Christ he demands a heart that is a heart for the world. It is a demand that he has put on us. These, and, and I go back to this because there in Jerusalem, the church began to grow. But do you realize what's an amazing thing? Is that within 30 years, this is what I've read. I've heard this. I can't tell you 100% sure, but I believe it's true. Within 30 years, within their, they reached the world with their generation. Their generation was reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were fulfilling. Do you, do you realize the Great Commission isn't a, a time from the beginning of the church age to the end of the church age? We have to fulfill the Great Commission. Fulfilling of the Great Commission is in every generation reaching their generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is a fulfillment of the the, the Great Commission. Here they are, these men at this time, they didn't have all the organization, they did not have the digital abilities that we have, they didn't have the technology that we have, and yet the word went out and, and the Bible says they turned the world upside down. Who's turning the world upside down today? Who is reaching the world today and who's going to reach the generation that we're living in right now? Whose responsibility is it? It's not Paul's. It's not Peter's. It's ours. And our Jerusalem and, in, and Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. It's our responsibility. Let me ask you, like our master, the Lord Jesus Christ, do you have a burden for the lost world? Do you have a burden? Are you burdened for the lost world? I want to be real careful when I talk about this because I I don't believe in winning souls for Christ for humanitarian reasons. I don't think missions ought to be all humanitarian. Now, nothing wrong with helping people humanitarian and then being able to share the gospel with them. There's a lot of opportunities we use for that. Even when we do vacation Bible school, things that we offer, things that we do, I'm talking about missionaries that go and they, they offer some service to them. When I went on a mission trip to Ethiopia, we had loaves of bread we gave out. But I can tell you this, it wasn't the loaf of bread that that those people truly needed. It was the bread of life, and we shared that with them. And many came to know Christ as their Savior. But I want to be very careful that when we talk about a burden for the lost and it's not a humanitarian thing. We often talk about there's people that are dying, they're going to hell, we ought to feel so bad about that. And yeah, we ought to. But most importantly, we ought to be wanting for God to be glorified, for God to be lifted up, for what Jesus did on Calvary's cross to, 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 to help these people that need saving. The most important reason why we witness is because we love God, because He is God, and He's told us to go. Main reason why. Most important reason. And Yeah. We ought to have a burden as well. We ought to have a burden for the lost, as Christ did. A burden for those that are on the way to hell. Because there is a heaven, there is a hell. We need to go. We need to go. I want you to look, if you would, next at the need for this commission, their need. And I want to come down to this because I want you to notice something that's really (laughs) just amazing here. Look at verse number nine, if you would. Notice the ascent of the Savior. This commission is given in view of the ascent. Right there, verse number 8, he gives the the command. He gives the the great commission there once again. And then verse 9, look what happens. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, ye men of Galilee, Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Amazing here. Luke, he uses three different verbs to talk about the ascension here. He talks about taken up. He talks about received. He talks about went up. Emphasizing what's happened, but put it in the context of what's happening. He gives the great commission, and while they beheld him, he's taken up. Can you imagine being there? I mean, picture being there. You're talking to Christ one moment. There he goes up in the clouds. Man, that would be awesome. Amazing. And then to have the angels ascend and to speak to you, you men of Galilee. Galilee, Why are you standing here looking? Why are you looking up? Why stand you gazing up into heaven? Just a side note real quick. I'm looking forward to the return of Christ, and we ought to be looking for it. But people, they get so caught up in the return of Christ, and they're gazing up into heaven. That's all they're doing is gazing. They're gazers. They're not fulfilling the Great Commission. That's all they, they're just, I've heard people like that. and You have to be very careful. There's a balance we see here. But here's the thing. What's so awesome about this is what they saw, notice what they said was going to happen. Look what the angel said, verse number 11 again, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go There's going to come that moment, hey listen, it's going to be fulfilled at a future day. The Lord is going to return. I mean, you can see him coming down and he's going to come and set up his own millennial kingdom. He's going to put his foot down there, the Mount of Olives. He's going to split wide open. He's going to march into the eastern gate. He's going to set up and sit right there on the throne of David and rule and reign for a thousand years. And yes, I'm looking forward to it. That's why it's so important that we tell people. Because the Lord is coming back the time is short time has come, Christ is coming Christians get going time is co- Christ is coming Christians need to get going so here's the question tonight are you committed to his plan his purpose his program are you willing to spend and be spent are you willing was a 19th century disciple of Karl Marx. He was thrown into prison for his role in the assassination of uh, Tsar Alexander XI. Prior to his death, he wrote this. Now listen to what he said. This is a man that believed in Marxism. This is a revolutionary. This is what he said. The revolutionary man is a consecrated man. He has neither his own interests nor concerns nor feelings, no attachments, no property, not even a name. All for him is absorbed in the single exclusive interest in one thought, in one passion, and that's revolution. Revolution. You know his motives and goals are wrong, but is that not the heart of a true committed person? Are we committed? Are we truly committed? Of, that is needed to accomplish the objectives of the risen Lord. Being completely sold out. Is that not what Christ called for? Denying ourselves Is that not what Christ asked us to do? So whether we live, whether we have health, whether we are sick, whether we have sickness, whether we're rich, whether we're poor, our deepest desire should be to please him. Why were you created? Why were you created? Colin? For his good pleasure. What's his Pleasure. He desire? What does he want in you? What does he need from us? Well, he left us here for a reason, like Brother JB said earlier, we're ambassadors. Ambassadors of Christ. What a privilege. What an amazing thing. He wants us to be his ambassadors. He wants us to be his witnesses. And by the way, there's no loopholes. No one can say that doesn't apply to me. Well, if you're a child of God, it applies to you. We're to be his witnesses. And what an honor it is. Once again, Christ, what he said there in that verse number eight, he said, ye shall be witnesses unto me. When that power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, ye shall be witnesses unto me. The question for us tonight is this. Will we? Are we? Are we those witnesses as we should be? Let's all stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed as we pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for salvation, Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross in our place, paying our sin debt.